Welcome to the Data Binge Podcast, a library of discussions with technologists and business leaders focusing on the human relationship with technology. Three, two, one, deploy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. And thank you for tuning in in this moment. Summer is finally here. And I hope you all have some plans to get out of the house and shake off the remnants of a completely wild year. It is the early month of June, 2021, at the time of this recording. For those of you listening in and around this very important month of June, happy Pride Month as we make some space to commemorate and celebrate the annual recognition and advocation for gay rights. A bit of history on the topic that I learned while preparing for this intro and and reading up on the importance of June that I'd like to share with you all. Pride Month originated from an event on June 28th of 1969 in New York City in a small bar in Manhattan called the Stonewall Inn. At that time in history, the New York State Liquor Authority did not give out licenses to establishments that served gay patrons. After police raided the establishment in a public display of arrests in force, riots ensued by the onlooking crowds. Over the next week, demonstrations continued outside the bars. Crowds showcased continually their empathy and solidarity for the LGBTQ community. The demonstrations have come to be known as the Stonewall Riots. On June 11, 1999, President Bill Clinton issued the proclamation that June be Gay and Lesbian Pride Month. Just a little bit of history, a lot of details I left out, but if you'd like to read up additionally on Pride Month and some other events that were very important to the LGBTQ community, I'll go ahead and put some links to those assets that I found on history.com, actually, that you can take a look at. If you are a part of the LGBTQ community or you are an ally of this community, I am wishing you the very best of celebration for the remainder of the month. And for the rest of us, I really think that we can all create a little more space for our LGBTQ friends, family, and strangers you may run into in and around your life or on the street and learn a little bit more about their perspectives and feelings around the history, the present, and the future of this Pride Month. I think even just asking some questions around how they feel learning some things about the history, we can all make a little bit of a difference in this way, and we can all bring the world just a little bit closer together. And now for today's discussion. Today's a fun discussion for those of you interested, those geeks interested in the business implications of the cloud, specifically Microsoft Azure and some experiences I have to share about my time at Microsoft, working with some of the largest businesses in the world, empowering business value through novel technologies, mostly centered around big data, machine learning, and AI. I am joined in this recorded live discussion by today's host, Brett Cullivan, Azure Applications and Infrastructure Global Partner Director at Microsoft. As you will see, Brett and I really share a lot of ideas around business empowerment through technology, and we talk through a lot of key concepts, learnings, and trends as Brett hosts the discussion with the help of his peers moderating the session. 
Srinivasan Venkatarajan and Shalini Chandra Shikhar, Azure Global Partner Directors at Microsoft. We were joined by a live global audience of Microsoft partners with a total of approximately 175 registrants across two live discussions with folks dialing in from places far beyond the shores of the West Coast where Brett and I are dialing in from. Thank you for taking the time to listen to today's discussion. I hope you enjoy. And now we bring you Empowering Business Outcomes with Azure. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's session entitled Mining for Azure BDM Outcomes, Plan, Prepare, and Execute. Today's event is being recorded on behalf of Microsoft. The recording will be available by accessing the registration link you use to join this event after the session is complete. To learn more about ways that you can participate in today's event, please click on the message button in the lower left-hand corner of your screen. We encourage you to interact by using the message panel at any time to ask questions regarding content or to request technical support. There may also be impromptu polls, so please be prepared to provide your feedback. Please note that at the end of the session, we will allow a few minutes for you to complete a brief survey. Your feedback back on this session is critical to the success of the project. Mm -hmm. So please take a minute to answer a few quick questions before you leave the session. We will be providing the link to the survey in the chat window as we near the end of the session. If you're unable to complete the survey before you leave today, you will also be receiving an email with the survey access information. And the survey will be available for 24 hours. Closed captioning is also available during this session. To view the captioning, please press the CC button in the lower left-hand corner of the presentation screen. And now I'd like to introduce you to Brett Cullivan and Derek Russell. Brett is an Azure ANI Global Partner Director at Microsoft, and he'll be our moderator for today. And Derek is a digital advisor for innovation at Microsoft, and he is our resident expert. Brett, you have the floor. Thank you, Carrie. Appreciate it. Before we get started, just wanted to take a moment to recognize the challenges that some of the regions are facing with an increase in COVID cases. And just wanted to acknowledge that and that our thoughts and prayers are with everyone out there and hope everyone is safe. And if there's anything that Microsoft can do as a partner, we would love to get your feedback and you can share it in the in the window where you post questions. If you've got anything that you think that we could help out with, please let us know. We want to do whatever we can to make sure people are safe. So with that, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be. And thank you for attending this session. This is our second one that we're doing. We did one this morning and had a great time with Derek. And just to tell you a little bit about Derek, Derek and I had the pleasure of working together a couple of years in West in the United States West Region Enterprise and super fortunate to be able to have Derek join us today and tap into his wisdom and knowledge and share his insights on empowering business outcomes with Azure and how to make you feel more comfortable and confident as you prepare and plan to have discussions with business decision makers. Also joining us is Sarini Vindakaran. Sarini is going to be a question and answer manager for us. So we'll also be referring to 
Sereni. And then also joining us as well in a similar fashion is Shalini Chandrashaw. Shalini is going to be also helping facilitate question and answer as well. And we've got some poll questions that we're going to do that will make sure, give you an opportunity to provide us some feedback and input. So look forward to getting your responses on those as well and any questions that you may have. To get started, Derek, I'd love to kind of hear just some about your background and where you got started and how you came to Microsoft and kind of the career that you've been within Microsoft. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, everyone. And Brett, this is our second session of the day. In the first session of the day, I think there was a little bit of sleep in our eyes. You were drinking coffee. Now you're drinking LaCroix. I'm drinking some some tea now. It's getting a little warmer. So second session is always better than the first. So thanks, everyone, for joining. I am a digital advisor in Microsoft's U.S. sales region under the chief digital officer of MSUS, Jackie Wright. I specifically work with the West region, United States, and retail and CPG customers across the U.S. I've been with Microsoft for four years now. I was recruited into Microsoft as a data and AI solution seller. So I was, I was very interested in, in selling Azure into the business. I was recruited through something called a mock program, which is our university hiring program out of the University of Texas in Austin. It's a full-time MBA program. So I did not have a technology background when I initially came into Microsoft. I spent the majority of my career in environmental sciences, industrial hygiene. I got into some clean tech and also worked in the automotive industry for a quick stint. So those are the types of things and experiences I bring to the table today. And I, I really enjoy not only my experience that I have had selling Azure and kind of being, you know, working hand in hand with partners, ISVs and service integrators, but also system integrators, but also in the innovation space as a digital advisor. So happy to be here. Yeah, thank you, Derek. That's an impressive background. And I know there was a lot of great things that you shared across kind of your journey and the methodology and the way that you approach as a seller and as you approach your role today as a digital advisor focused on innovation. And you're really, you know, you really get deep with customers on some of their transformative projects. So be great to kind of dive into that as well. So super excited to learn about that. Let's start with the poll question first, and then one of the poll questions, and this will be posted by Carrie, but I'll read it out loud and love to get the attendees' response. But which one of these words describes your feeling when prospecting or engaging business decision makers? There'll be four choices. So we'll come back and visit the results of that a little bit later, but love to get your response and, and the feedback that you have on that. Derek, one of the things that we got asked this morning, you kind of touched on it a little bit, was kind of your transition, you know, not having a tech background, but coming from a business background and making that transition to kind of a tech role or a tech sales type role. Love to kind of understand your kind of journey and what you did to kind of build that skill set and that muscle up to feel confident and comfortable in being able to have conversations, both tech and with business decision makers. Yeah, I think that's a relevant question just because if you're on the call, if you're working for Microsoft or, you know, one of these large global partners of, of ours, you're most likely you spent the majority of your career in some type of technology role. So it's very comfortable for you to have the technology conversation. That's your vernacular. That's your niche. That's where you live. That's who you know. That's your background. 
for me, I didn't have that. And I had to learn how to become a more technical person with a business background. So I think the journey is the same for folks that are technology oriented who want to get into business and vice versa. I think what really helped me in coming into the Microsoft organization, I, I was a university hire. I had no idea. They hired me for my, my business acumen. I had no clue what a database was, no clue what relational meant. No, I had no clue what Hadoop or, or Cloudera or any of these phenomenal infrastructures were. I just didn't know. So imagine the anxiety and the fear I had of even having a conversation with, with IT, an IT director or a CIO or a developer or a data scientist. I was absolutely frightened. And one of the things I started doing is I started interviewing very technical people or people who understood the kind of the learning area I was trying to adopt. And one of the folks I was interviewing, typically I would interview architects and things of that nature. And one of the folks said, hey, Derek, you should maybe you should you should record these conversations and then listen to the conversations later. And then you can also distribute these conversations to your colleagues. There's more people in the world that don't understand this. And they want to know the same questions that you're asking. So I started a podcast. It's called the Data Bench Podcast, where I was interviewing folks at Microsoft about things like security, about things like cloud computing and digital transformation. And of course, now, you know, outcome selling and business decision maker targeting and penetration access, et cetera. So it, it took me into this whole world of content creation where I was listening, learning, and it helped me become a more technical person. So I think the same thing applies for folks who want to become more business centric so they can feel better about having a business related discussion. It's who can you talk to? What are the ecosystems you can surround yourself with? And what can you do to actually start creating content and thought pieces and articles, et cetera, that will bring you closer to that end target business decision maker alignment? Yeah, no, that's a great journey that you went through. And I think you hit it spot on in terms of like, you know, coming at, like if you're coming from a tech perspective and you want to kind of build up that business knowledge or, or coming the other way that you described. And it's just so critical. And us being able to be credible with customers, you know, and, and have that deep rooted knowledge or bringing a point of view that, you know, we teach our customers. And I know you'll get into that, some of that a little bit deeper here as we go. But one of the other things I think that you bring that's really interesting is you also have a services lens as well. And with the partner community that we have on today with our global system integrators and advisory type partners, one of the things that I wanted to kind of start a little bit with was how Microsoft and specifically Satya Nadella, our CEO, views. Um, and I'm going to share a quote and let me post share my desktop here for a second. But this is a recent article, and Derek actually made me aware of this. It was a Business Insider article that was posted recently, but this was an interview that CRN Magazine did of, of Satya. And he says, what I think is unique about the way we approach our business and our partner ecosystem is that we fundamentally, when it wouldn't exist as a company, if not for our partner e ecosystem taking what we built adding value to it and being jointly obsessed about how the outcomes help the world get better one business at a time, one community at a time. And this is so crucial. And the way that we go into business together and make it a kind of a triple win, a win for our customers, win for our partners and a win for Microsoft. And we'll dive into this as we discuss here, but I think it's just so important in terms of like how we go to market, how we partner together, 
and the types of things that we're mutually trying to drive for our customers and have those mutual outcomes that build scale for our partners, profitable practices, builds up their capacity. Microsoft, you know, really invests a lot in terms of the skilling that we try to do with our partners and both our customers as well. And in this kind of consumption model that we're all in, the only way that Microsoft is successful and our partners successful is having our customers be successful on our platform and the delivery and services that our partners wrap around that, you know, and that's the way that we will continue to build this scale and grow our mutual business together. So with that, Derek, the first question I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit with having kind of that sales specialist role that you had prior and now in your digital advisor innovation role and having that lens of both from a services and, and as a, a direct seller, being a former specialist in digital advisor and working with quite a few customers in those in different industries, what kind of Azure trends or use cases are you seeing customers inquire about or executing on? Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely, I came into the organization in 2017 and at the time, I don't know what our intelligent cloud revenue was, but you know, we're seeing 50% year over year growth now in Azure. So the growth has been absolutely incredible. At the time, folks didn't even really know what Azure was, or they would say, oh, that's, is that your cloud? And, you know, because AWS was just so prominent. So at the time, the trends were SQL Server, you know, SQL Server managed instance didn't even exist. You know, we didn't really have a really provocative offering in big data. AI was so new that folks wanted to do POCs. And as you'll learn from me, I'm POC free. I don't do any POCs because I think they're, they're, I think they're a waste of time, to be yeah. perfectly honest. And we'll get into that a little later too. But now I really kind of segmented it into three different kinds of scenarios and how I see use cases and how use cases develop. And I think what folks are wanting to do in Azure, and it's number one, it's modernization. You know, folks wanting to modernize, they don't want to run their Cisco blades and their data center. That's not a fun conversation, you know, these colo conversations, but it's these data center transformation modernizations are important. And we have programs and partners that, that do analyses and all those different things to figure out the ROI to make the jump. But you have those modernization scenarios, and that could also include sunsetting applications and appliances and things that just need to be replaced. And that was typically the majority of the things I did in Azure. Then I started moving into this other kind of scenario area, and I guess you could kind of start mapping this tour in a kind of a three horizon roadmap of what's incremental, what small growths can you do to, to start moving the business forward, and then how can you completely transform the business? So in the growth arena, it's of course digital transformation. How can a company leverage the power of its data estate to create innovation and disruption and empowers its employees and its customers? So that includes things like if you're in the retail sector, like I am, you know, uh, foot traffic and analytics or product shelf analytics or facial recognition or you know custom vision or things that are helping customers under helping a business understand what their customers are doing in their store experience. Or it could be using things like machine learning and modernizing and unifying their application landscape and aggregating data and, and doing some things with the data there, using you know, dynamics and all these other different tools that are being pulled into these digital transformation scenarios to really accelerate the business. Those are things that I was seeing a lot and still seeing a lot. But more than anything else, it's this third kind of area, it's this third kind of super transformative 
horizon, which is this go-to-market partnership horizon. And Microsoft, of course, is a partner call. We do that really well. We do that really well with our system integrators. We do that really well with our customers as well as the ISV partners we have. And a lot of system integrators are be starting to become ISVs. And customers are starting to become system integrators. So there's all there's this collection and the synergy of all these things coming together. You see, you know, semiconductor companies wanting to vertically integrate and start becoming uh, building cameras. I think in 2018, I saw a release by Qualcomm where us and Qualcomm work together on a Snapdragon microprocessor that can run Windows at the edge on a car. So you start seeing these companies that traditionally were kind of in, in a certain realm of product and service. And now they're starting to want to build either on the Azure backbone or on their own backbone that's supported by Azure in a new marketplace. So those conversations are really, really amazing. You see it with SAP, our partnership with SAP earlier this year. You see it with this recent acquisition of Nuance, which does some analytics on EMR to kind of propel and accelerate healthcare experiences. So these are the kind of things that we're playing in now that I think are all very, very important to just keep in mind when we think about use cases. Yeah, I think that's really spot on too, Derek, in terms of like the transformation that Microsoft has gone through, especially the last three or four years and kind of this industry verticalization and building, you know, specific purpose-built solutions or platforms for those industries, whether it's healthcare, retail, manufacturing, public sector for government, you know, and three of those are now in public preview and will be, become available probably later sometime this calendar year. But it just goes to the type of transformation that we're going through as well, right? And that our partners are going through and our end cut and just imagine what end customers are going through. So this solutioning and this kind of co-builder ideation and solution ideation that we do with our partners is so critical for creating kind of these vertical integrated solutions across those platforms and across those industries. So I think that that's spot on. I want to pause here for a second and Carrie wanted to see if we've gotten any response from the first poll question and any insights you can share. So yes, we do. We have it's actually a tie. The answers are, so we had half of the people say fear is their answer and the other half is challenging. Got it. Okay. Well, I think that will, the next question topic we get into, Derek's got some great playbook that he can share in methodology about how he approaches this to overcome some of that fear and some of the challenges. But before we do that, I wanted to go to our question and answer managers to see if there's any questions that may have been put into the question and chat window. Hey, Brett. Yes, uh, we have one question that come up uh, that's come up, which is uh, uh, they want to know what is outcome selling and what is different with outcome selling? What does it take to do outcome selling and why do we think it would work? Derek, you want to take a shot at that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I actually I wrote an article about outcome selling and I did a, an episode on my podcast that had to do exactly with that. Like what is outcome selling? And it's this idea and we'll we'll just get into it right now, but when you think about what customers want, they want us to challenge them. So I'm going to go ahead and source the challenger sales model. They also want us to exploit and elevate their needs and their challenges, their unarticulated, unmet needs, as Satya Nadella likes to say. But they want those exploited. 
So they want us to come to the table with some outcome, with some business outcome, with some objective that aligns to their North Star or that shapes their North Star so that they can become a better organization that aligns kind of with the third area that we covered is this go-to-market type of partnership trend that we're seeing in the Azure kind of technology community. So when you're thinking about outcomes, and we'll just kind of go into this structure that I follow, and it's it's the challenger sales model, and it's teach, it's very easy. And at Microsoft, we all took the challenger sales training. I may have been asleep and just clicking away half the time during the sales training. It was, uh, hopefully I'm not being recorded. I, I know I am, but it was pretty boring. But the thing I took away from it after reading the book and looking at YouTube videos is this idea of, look, you're teaching, you're tailoring, and you're taking control. And those are the three specific things that you have to build in a model where you're trying to get to that outcome for that business so that they can then start to transform and translate and traverse all the things that need to happen from an IT perspective to activate services, to activate products, to activate cloud consumption, et cetera. When you talk about teaching, it's coming in with a perspective, coming with a perspective on the industry, coming up with, we're all SMEs. We kind of understand what other customers are doing. We understand what's going on in the world. You know, we can all read magazines like The Economist. You know, this Economist magazine, it's called Writing High, Special Report on the Future of Work. So if you're a modern workplace uh, system integrator, ISV, if you're a product that exists that is going to help virtual work or the future of work, reading this, you know, 20 page article, you know, on a Friday morning, taking an hour to do that, summing it up, putting it into a three slide deck and then coming to a conversation and teaching the customer something, that's something new. And then tailoring it to how you can impact that specific teaching across the customer, like what is so special about your services or you as a SME or your organization, how you can tailor it to their needs, and finally, how you can take control and get them to actually start to uncover specific ROI metrics or KPIs. What can you do to kind of get them there? And it's all based upon getting to some specific outcome, some North Star, which you could read about in their 10K, it could be a strategic priority or a CEO level message that's coming down through the organization, or it could be something that you're mutually building against. But that's what customers want from us at its core. Yeah, no, and it kind of led into the second area that I was going to kind of explore with you. So that was a great question that we got because it was a good segue into kind of the second area. And you hit on some really key themes, I think, in terms of like having a point of view obviously, you know, doing some kind of self-learning prior, right, to kind of prepare as you go and have these conversations. One of the things I had the fortunate ability to do in my prior role was lead a team of Azure specialists back when you and I were kind of doing that role ourselves at one point. And there was this kind of similar approach in terms of kind of like model coach care. And it really gave me an opportunity to kind of take a step back and, and really understand at a, at a different level what sellers go through, right? As they try to prepare and go and execute and have these conversations with customers. And so it gave us an opportunity to do a lot of role-playing. One of the things that we tried to put in practice that I think is I had everyone always kind of pick a topic area around Azure that they were passionate about and give a TED talk. You know, just note, just 
five, 15 to 15 minutes. They could use slides, but it was an opportunity for them to do some storytelling and just practice their pitch. And it just really helped build that confidence. And those that embraced it did phenomenally well and were super successful. I mean, I saw a tremendous trajectory just in their confidence level, the results they were driving, the type of conversations and how things they were getting deeper in the organization. And it was just so critical, but giving people kind of that comfortable space to do that. And I think you also talked about, you can do it on your own as well. I know you you talked a little bit earlier about kind of your podcast and you, I think you have over a hundred or so episodes now that you've done to date, but in the beginning you kind of, it was just you and you were talking about things that you were really interested in that appealed to you and you were teaching yourself, but it also was an opportunity for you to kind of practice. And I just think that just helps improve just the authenticity and what you bring to the table. And, you know, customers do the homework on you as well. You know, they have access to the same tool sets that we do going to LinkedIn, right? Kind of as that ecosystem to do that networking and learn about you just like you can learn about them. So, you know, just that thought leadership and things that you talked about are just, I think, so critical. And that brings us to another poll question I'd like to have Carrie post, um, which is number two. And what is your biggest challenge when trying to speak with a BDM and drive an outcome-based discussion? Um, so Carrie, if you could go ahead and post that poll question, that'd be great. Let's pause here for a second as well, and I'll turn it over to Shalini to, Shalini to see if there's any additional questions or comments that may have come in through the chat window. Yeah, quite a few of them. I've just picked up two themes that I'm lining up here. So the question is, how do you prepare for BDM conversations if you have a compressed time and what resources do you use? And the other follow-up question is, how do you start these conversations in an actual meeting? Can you give us an example? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about compressed time. So that's interesting because now we're getting into time management and how you're spending your time. I structure a lot of focus time in my day. If I see an invite in my calendar and it doesn't have an agenda, I automatically decline it. I try to decline at least 25% of all meetings because I need focus time for those business decision-maker conversations. You, you have to be prepared for those conversations. And one of the things about the preparation that is so important, that's what helps you get over the fear. You know, I had a fear of presenting and public speaking. I still do. I, I mean, this call is fearful for me. But I prepare, you know, I put two, three, four hours of work into understanding the comments, the ideas that we were going to discuss. So I think preparation is number one. So I would ask that you kind of challenge yourself and say, hey, if I have a day to have this conversation with the business, like I need two hours, I need three hours, I need four hours to prepare for this thing. One hour, you kind of spend on LinkedIn, figuring out who they are, where they worked, how they're connected to you, et cetera. Add them into your, your LinkedIn sales navigator because you might have to send them a message or connect with them after you talk with them. And that's one. Two, you read their 10K. The first five, six pages, eight pages of the 10K talks through strengths, weaknesses, CEO messaging, strategic priorities. So I just lit up an account team and helped them kind of activate some sales, some big bet transformational sales kind of outreaches for the business 
just by reading the 10K, it took me two hours to read through it, understand it, things I didn't understand, you know, put things in my OneNote. But now I had a structure, a skeleton for a conversation. Then I go to a deck. I'm going to put together five slides of teaching. I'm going to come to the table with something. I have, a, again, an, an economics or an economist subscription. I do a search. You know, data is gold, data mining, whatever, custom vision, human resources, whatever I'm looking for. Pull those things into a teach, tailor it to why it's important to Microsoft and or our services or partners, ISVs, et cetera, and how we can take it to the next level. And that's, I mean, that's a four hour piece of work, but I can do that the day before. I can slam that out two days before. And even if I don't use the deck, that's ingrained in my brain. And now I can have an eye to eye conversation with someone because now I'm an expert. We're already smeezed, but I just spent four hours kind of turbocharging myself on the topic. And I think the other question was, how do you get to those conversations in a meeting? One thing I've done very well is just, if you understand what resonates with these people, you can start there. And the way you understand what resonates is their strategic priorities. You know, are they trying to increase EBITDA? Are they trying to encroach and penetrate the APAC market? Are they interested in the Chinese consumer? You know, what's going on from a global perspective? And then you can kind of talk to that. You know, I, I know that you're interested in penetrating APAC. I know you're, you're interested in direct to consumer marketing. Are you interested in that? And then that's, and they, they'll start talking because you, you did your homework. So those are some of the things that you can start doing, but it's really about that preparation and, and giving yourself some time to prepare. That's great. Yeah, no, I think it's that's spot on in terms of just, especially too, where you, we are all kind of time crunched. You know, it is one of the things that I think COVID has really kind of put in perspective for me is having that focus time. I, I purposely block out time on my calendar now that I call it focus time. Sometimes it's not always respected and people will try to schedule, but I do similar strategy, Derek, in terms of de trying to, de I'll decline a lot of those. And I think it's, and I think it's also a good culture thing to drive too. Like when people do send you meeting requests, have an agenda. I know I sometimes do it, sometimes I fail at it, but I think that's such just a great habit to have as well because it does build purpose, intent on what you want to cover. And I think it it also makes the meeting a lot more productive, right? And driving down and the amount of time you spend talking, right? You kind of just get right to it and you just knock it out. So I think that's that's so critical. But to your point about how to prepare, you know, is really important. And for companies that aren't public, do you have anything for companies that are kind of private, you know, how you might go to try and find out like, what are their priorities? One thing that I think a lot of us do is, you know, we may look at similar industries that that customer is in. Maybe there's a public customer that a public company that's in that industry. There's probably good chance that their competitor has similar kind of priorities as well, but you can kind of learn about any other things that you might recommend for those companies where they're maybe not as they're, you know, they're not a public company, but they're, and maybe they're not as out there as some other customers might be in terms of just being in trade publications or, or other newspapers, articles, et cetera. I mean, my, ex the exact thing I, and this thing hasn't changed because I've been doing this for a while. I was, you know, selling before business school and I was in business and like, I've always kind of been this kind of consummate sale seller, salesperson, needing to, to understand, and even as a technical person, just needing to understand something very fast. Like, I think we're in a learning economy. I think the adaptability quotient 
I think the future of, of school is going to be how do we get our kids to learn faster, not math, English, et cetera. So that's what we're talking through now. How do we get as smart as possible in as little time as possible? And I'll go and I'll just, you know, Google or Bing, you know, trends in quick serve restaurant, trends in, you know, clinic size healthcare, trends in privacy for et cetera. And you tip, typically the first two articles I'll go, I'll read if it's a, a decent article like a Forbes, I'll take that as 95% chance that that's accurate, but I'll be sure. open to 5% chance that's not the truth. So if the, yeah. if the customer challenges me on it, I can say, look, like that's just my holistic kind of view on, on the topic. Like, what do you think? But now you're already, you're already having a conversation. You know, you're already there kind of discussing pain points. So you kind of hit your target. Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. And just those simple steps that you do, like going to do that search, like on Bing or on Google, you know, to find kind of some of what those trends might be in a particular industry or customer vertical. I think that's a, that's a great suggestion. Carrie wanted to come back to you just to see if we got any responses to our second poll question. If you have any insights you can share. Yes. So we had all of the responses said on uncover business drivers and needs. Okay. It's the biggest challenge. Got it. And I, th I think we kind of talked a little bit about, we just kind of talked about some of that, you know, ways to go and un uncover those. And the next question I'll ask, but before I ask it, I wanted to go back to our Q&A team to see if there's any additional questions or comments that may have come in. Sereni, I think it, it's over to you. Yeah. One of the questions that are trending uh, questions that I'm seeing is with AI, most of the BDMs would by now understand what is the business benefits that they're going to get, right? But then on the flip side, is it going to take away jobs, right? And how do the, the sellers pitch to the BDMs in the context? Yeah, I love that question because that used to come up all the time in 2017, 2018, you'd hear operations folks, call center folks that did a lot of call center work and in you know, analytic work with some COOs and operations folks that grew up in the business and they didn't want to, you know, they knew what it was like working in a call center and they didn't want to get rid of their people. So those were constant kind of objections. But I think the theme at Microsoft and one of the things that we're doing, our, our AI strategy is, is to deploy AI everywhere and not to replace or dispose of folks who are in the market, but to empower them to do more. That's kind of our mission statement. How do you give folks you know, new tools? How do you give folks new insights so they can be more effective at their job? I think when folks think about layoffs and getting rid of folks and firing people and, and losing jobs, they're thinking that the AI is only going to take the job to the baseline level. But we know if you're a public company and you, you have shareholders, you want to exceed your earnings. You want to exceed your revenue projections and your, and your profit margins. You want to do more. You want to seize more wallet share, market share. So you're going to use the AI to go over the baseline. And the only way you can use AI to go over the baseline is if you empower your people to use the AI. So it's a collaborative effort. And that's the coaching that we have to give to our customers. We're not trying to replace, we're trying to empower, we're trying to augment. I did a lot of work in the utility space as well. And in California, there's a lot of wildfires. 
one of the things that folks were concerned about is how do we use you know drones, helicopter high res helicopter 8K video to kind of look at wildfire footage or undergrowth or encroachment of vegetation into assets. Well, you can do that via a drone, but you can only do it to a certain amount of accuracy before you have you need a human being to say yes or no. And those human beings before would just be looking at footage for 12 hours a day. We don't want human beings doing that. We want robots doing that. We want human beings making decisions, getting out into the field and using their intelligence to pull all those insights and data and to do something with it. So once you kind of steer the conversation in that direction, then it becomes a much, much better conversation that people are very, very interested in. Yeah, I think that's really, you you made me think of an interesting use case with one of the customers my team last year was working on kind of in, a, in an outdoor scenario, but it was for a utility customer. And they actually wanted to deploy drones to capture footage because woodpeckers would come and just create havoc on their utility poles, but they didn't want to deploy people out there to just go check these utility poles because it just wasn't, it just took away from all of the more important kind of critical work that they needed to do. So they actually deployed drones using capturing footage and then they used AI to do that cognitive vision, our API to capture if there was damage to utility pole and it would identify where it was located. You know, then they could go purposely deploy people to go fix that versus just sending somebody out to kind of see which utility poles, if anything. So it's an interesting use case, but just the way the technology and like how it it's empowering and enabling people and kind of changing the dynamics and the way that customers use this technology. So it's really interesting. And I think we're only going to see more of that just amplify. It, it gets fun when you're at the table with someone and they say, well, what about my people's jobs and AI displacing jobs? And you can kind of say, well, you know, we use AI in, in our outlook to streamline spam and get rid of things that you don't need. So you don't have to spend that additional time cleansing your Outlook <laughs> client. Yeah. So what do you do with that extra time that you, the AI just saved you? They certainly aren't worried about their job. You know, They're focusing more on their proprietary functions as a human being and as a business. So that's what we really wanna get folks to do. Focus on your proprietary functions, not the things that a, a robot can do. Right, exactly, totally agree with that. I wanted to do another poll question, Carrie, number three, and this one is, which one of these best practices do you do every time you have a conversation with the BDM? So if you could post that question, Carrie, that would be great, and then we'll come back and visit that. One thing that you kind of touched on, Derek, and I'd love to kind of have you maybe dig into it a little bit deeper, but you know, what's kind of, you talked on some of this, but especially when you're touching on the challenger sales model, but what is your kind of outcome-based selling methodology and approach? And how do you apply that to drive that BDM conversation? Earlier, you kind of went through kind of a five-step process that you focus on. I'd love to have you share that insight and kind of share your wisdom and knowledge around that. Because I think it's a great way to kind of prepare, plan, and go execute. Absolutely. So I think when we were talking earlier, it was more of a philosophical conversation. I think when you get into the tactics of a sow, of a scope, of an engagement, of a project, of an initiative, program, et cetera, we kind of, myself and many of my colleagues, you know, after losing so many deals or, you know, you know, failing, you know, or things not going the way we wanted them to do, we started doing to do after action reports and actually 
you know, sum and aggregate some of the things that we were noticing. And there was a couple things pattern wise that started to emerge based upon how we could get to that specific business outcome successfully with the customer so that they would buy or they would partner or they would collaborate with us. And just a couple of them, I've written them down here is, you know, to have consensus on a business problem. If, if you're talking innovation, you're talking, have consensus on a design challenge, trying to design the future of something, but that business problem, does everyone agree with it? Is everyone on the same page? Is, is IT, is their lens understanding of that business problem? Is the business, are they understanding that business problem? Do all the stakeholders understand this, the same business problem is important to all? One of the best ways to do that is just go to the, the CEO messaging if they're a public company or scrape you know, public trends. Because if something is happening in the restaurant space that is important to all restaurants and you're talking to a restaurant customer, it's probably important to them too. So, you know, building that consensus, you know, understanding budget. And I think budget, it's a hard conversation. No one wants to be asked how much money they have in their checking account. I never say, do you have budget? What's your budget? That's a terrible question in my mind, but I know they have budget. If they're having a conversation with me that aligns with a strategic priority that has been outlined by their business stakeholders, or their CEO, or their COO, et cetera, because you're not gonna have a business discussion if they don't have any budget. Typically, IT would be having a discussion with you, and the business would be supplying the budget to them. So it depends on who you're having the conversation with, and you can kind of formulate how serious it is. And of course, before you get even more serious, you say, look, we need to formalize this into an engagement. What do you think about this? And you ask some questions that would kind of help you understand that. Having both an IT and a business sponsor, you have to have both of these. You need IT to develop the roadway and they can't get in your way. So if you only go to business, then IT can roadblock you. If you only go to IT, you're just not going to get into the budget, into the real opportunities that we talked about. I'm POC free. So no POCs are throwaway work. Typically, the partner has to invest. Microsoft has to invest ESIF funds and nothing ever comes of it nine out of 10 times. So I only focus on what is a lightweight MVP, a mock-up with static data or real-time data, something that really makes sense for the customer because they will be learning, you'll be learning, and they'll put real assets and resources behind it. Going to security first and saying, these are the infrastructure services we need in cloud. Like we need Databricks, we need Azure Data Lake services, we need you know Data Factory, we need all these different things to light up this workload. Because if, if you're not green lit on that, the project's gonna get stalled, the serve, if you're a, a system integrator, you're never going to get a sow sign or you're you're never going to be able to complete your first sprint because IT is going to take forever. And then finally, I'll let you cover this one, Brett, is, uh, you know, reasonable time. How much time do you need to, to move one of these things forward? Yeah, no, that's a great, great thing. And I think this morning you shared some great insights around when customers kind of go through this methodology that you just laid out, you know, and talking about kind of the teach, tailor, and coach kind of challenger mindset, it just completely shrinks the amount of time. Instead of projects taking 18 to 24 months, we can cut that down. And, and we've got data that backs this that, you know, as you kind of think big, start small and scale, it really shrinks the time value that our customers start seeing success from the platform, you know, from 18, 24 months down to like three to, to nine months. And it just builds, especially too, in this con this kind of consumption model that we're in now and that our partners are engaging with, with us as we go to market. And 
kind of being able to have that approach just really drives a lot of impact, again, for the customer, for us, and for our partners. And it's just super critical because, you know, you get a lot of times where people just might be tire kickers. And what I mean by that is they're just kind of really just wanted to waste your time and maybe learn. And, and we all have come across those type of people and it can just be a huge time crunch. And so having kind of this discipline approach and how you go to market just really helps alleviate a lot of those those pain points. Yes, there's going to be some, you know, some challenges that arise. There always is, but you're just that much better prepared to overcome what other obstacles or objections that that may be raised. And I think it's critical too, where you talked about having both sponsors, both from the business and from the IT. And a lot of times too, you can leverage those when you are, you know, doing your discovery and learning more about what the customer is trying to accomplish. And a lot of times, those sponsors may walk you into a, a certain part of the business. Maybe it's the IT or IT walking you into the business, but you've built that credibility up front to kind of gain that trust. So, you know, I just think it's, it's very critical. Anything else, Derek, that, around that that I didn't hit on or that you? No, I think that's great. And even, even coming up with a Word document, I've done this in a Word doc, very informal, sharing my screen and having the customer see, okay, is this the business problem? Yes. You know, is it like in terms of budget, is this something you're trying to do in, in next quarter in a week? Is this a next year thing? Like, what are you feeling here? Sure. You know, you're asking the questions and not in a, in a fearful anxiety ridden way, but you're collaborating on something and getting the full story. So I think that's a, a really important thing to do as well. Yeah, no, that that's spot on. Well, let's pause here for a second. And as we get close to wrapping up here, I wanted to turn back first to Carrie to see if there was any responses to the third poll question and any insights you can share. Yes. So all of the responses are gain next steps. Got it. Okay, great. Now, I think that's very critical, right? And and Derek kind of touched on some of this, but as you have these engagements with and doing, you're doing this discovery, you always want to walk away with an action item or a next step. And I think another really critical thing too, especially in this day, we do a lot of collaborative selling, just like we do together with our partner community. And it's really critical, important to kind of have that, that debrief. And you touched on this a little bit, Derek, you know, kind of that action plan that comes out of that. And I think that's so important because it's very interesting to, you might have a totally different perspective than someone else who was in that same meeting or, you know, and you gain a lot of insights that way, but it gets everyone together. And so you're flying in formation, but it's very critical to definitely have kind of that next follow-up. So you always have something you can go back to the customer with and, and act on. Shalini, is there any additional questions, comments that may have come in? There are no questions, but I definitely have a question for Derek, right? I mean, how do you become a good and effective storyteller? And I've seen you in action in a couple of places. You say really good stories there, get the customers and you know attention. So could you give us some sense about how do you become a good and effective sort of storyteller? Yeah, I, I love that, Shalini, because I'm I don't think I'm a good storyteller. It, I think it's one of those things you're always trying to get, to get better with. You're always trying to be a better seller, a better decision maker, a better mom, a better dad, a better spouse. I think it's one of those things you're just spending time kind of understanding. And I saw this amazing 
presentation by someone at Microsoft. Her name is Miri Rodriguez. And she had a book, and I think Brett, you're going to share the name of the book. It's I'll, I'll do the, I'll the resource link now. Yeah, brand storytelling put customers at the heart of your brand story, and she talks about you know understand your customer's heart because if you can drive if you can drive access and attention to their heart, what they're compassionate about, then that will activate their mind, which will actually put something into action. So if someone's if someone is concerned about sustainability or that's, that's, you know, ESG or, or something about that is on their 10 K, you know, that they want to become a sustainable company, diversity, inclusion, you know, fairness, privacy. Those are all things that really mean a lot to a lot of folks. So if you can kind of target that or whatever you think the, the, you know, fear, we talked about fear in this conversation. So I'm orienting the majority of what I'm saying around fear, because I know that that is an emotion and it impacts our heart and how we feel and it's going to activate kind of our decisions so i think those are some things that we can do and i, I think it, picking up her uh, miri's book she just won another award on it it's like it's a bestseller on amazon i'm going to buy it this weekend it's a great place to start yeah and i've got in that i'm sharing right now some resources that you may have already been posted and we'll do a follow-up to with additional resources but this is just a few of some of the things that we've gone through today and a couple of things I really want to highlight is one is Derek's got a fantastic podcast that he talked about. It's called The Data Binge. You can get it on anywhere you may listen to podcasts today, whether that's through Apple, Spotify, et cetera. So that's really critical. I put Derek's LinkedIn profile in there as well. So, you know, reach out to Derek or any of us that you want to connect with. Derek does a wonderful job of kind of building that thought leadership and personal brand and, and really proving, you know, it makes him have a point of view, but it also drives a lot of credibility when Derek's working with customers and having those kind of transformational, digital transformation conversations that are super impactful. The book that Derek was referring to about brand storytelling, putting customers at the heart of your brand story, that's posted there as well. The Economist article that Derek talked about, the rules of the tech game are changing put that there. We just had our recent earnings announcement. I'll put that link there as well. And then there's a whole host of other resources that we'll share with you. But these are just some of the some of the ones. Um, Derek, anything else you want to add there in terms of how to find you or any other thoughts? No, that's great. I think I'm, I'm always on LinkedIn. I'm always active. Another program I'm doing with a colleague of mine at the Microsoft Technology Center, it's called Simply Tech Live. So we are doing a, a leadership panel just like this one next Thursday, the 6th, talking about venture capital, the unicorn space, and Microsoft's new high-pursuit unicorn team. So always available, always sharing my learnings. You know, I follow some really great folks that I learn from online. So if you'd like to follow me to get started, you know, copycatting is the way to get to the top with this stuff. So feel free to do it. Yeah, no, that's that's totally critical. Well, with that, I just want to say a big, huge thank you. First, Derek, I appreciate you spending the time with us today. This being your second round, just as energetic as, as this morning, even more. So just a huge, big thank you and super grateful for your time. Also like to say thank you to Sereni and Shalini for being our question and answer managers and posing some great questions and giving some thoughts from the partner community to the Chinook group, Carrie, Leslie, and Sue for chiming in and kind of being behind the scenes and managing us. And then finally, to our partner community, we couldn't do this without you. And we're sincerely grateful and gratitude for everything that you do 
and partnering with us and the IP that you build and in working with our customers to drive mutual beneficial outcomes for everyone. So, so just thank you so much. With that, I'll turn it back to Carrie. Great. Thanks so much, Brett, Derek. Great job. Great information. And a very special thanks to all of you who took the time out of your very busy schedules to spend time with us today. And now we'll give you just a quick minute to complete our survey. You'll notice that the link is posted in the message panel in green. So we really appreciate your feedback. And if you have any questions that we weren't able to answer today or anything else that you'd like us to address, you can put anything that you you need addressed in the comments section of the survey. And as a reminder, you can also access the recording to this session by clicking on the same link that you used to join the session today. And that concludes our session. You may now disconnect. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us in the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.